Hello, hello, hello. It's so good to have you here today listening to Emotional Support. As I was editing this episode, I just got so excited and wanted to come and do a little, you know, precursor to what I'm going to be talking about. What is cord blood banking and cord tissue banking? This was a question that I had had through my nine months of pregnancy and something that I had talked about with friends, with family, with specialists, and I was still so confused with all the information that I was hearing about. I was lucky enough to be working with Viacord, a company that does cord blood and cord tissue banking, and I asked them for a favor to come on the podcast and to really answer not only my question selfishly, but give a very easy explanation as to the importance behind cord blood and cord tissue banking. It's an investment in your child's future, and I truly just wanted to make it, in the best words possible, stupid proof for those who are like me, who just can read as much information as they possibly can, but still not be able to process that information. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Kate, where we talk all about cord blood and cord tissue banking. I just want to also say thank you so much for listening to Emotional Support. Be sure to share with your friends, to like it, give it a five-star review, leave a review and let me know what you're liking about the show, what more you want to hear about. And you can follow us on social media at Emotional Support Pod and EmotionalSupportPod.com. I love you and thank you for being our Emotional Support. Kate, thank you so much for coming on Emotional Support. This has been so exciting for me for so many reasons because Viacord, which first of all, so connected because it's out of Massachusetts, which is where my husband's from. So I'm like, well, I think that's meant to be. Um, But beyond that, it was a firm decision from my mother, actually, because my okay. mother knew the company that you guys also partner with. And now I'm blanking on the name because pregnancy brain. Who's the big company? Like our parent company? It's the parent company. Perkin Elmer, our parent company. Exactly. There you go. So my mom was very familiar with them and was like, right. absolutely, this is going to be the number one, the best, the best. And I was actually very cautious about doing cord banking, um, blood and tissue banking, at the beginning of my pregnancy, because I had heard so many different stories of why you should do it, why you shouldn't do it. And I was very overwhelmed. And my, you know, OB was so lovely and he actually had recommended your company and said, look, you know, I want it to be the most expensive investment that you never have to use. And I was like, okay. And he didn't mean it like, because it's so expensive, (laughs) but but one of those things where if you're going to invest in your child's future, 
I want this to be something that you hope you never have to use, but sure. it's there as the in case of an emergency. I'm so lucky to have this conversation with you. So first, Kate, can you just explain to me how you're part of Viacord and what is cord blood? I am part of Viacord and I've been working with Viacord for um, a very long time now. I actually come from a obstetrics background. I'm oh, a labor wow. and delivery nurse. I was oh. a woman's healthcare nurse practitioner. And so I actually come from, um, you know, that clinical aspect of it where it just seemed very intuitive to me. Um, when I, when people started bringing these kits in and doing the collections and labor and delivery, I was like, what is this? Like, right. why are these people doing it? And then the more research I did, um, I was like, oh, Oh, it absolutely makes sense to me that these cells that moments before were supporting and building your entire child. And what normally happens is they go in the trash, (laughs) you know? And so it made so much sense to me to say, oh my gosh, these are, these are valuable. Like these have, um, you know, they had current clinical indications and um, other potential future indications. Um, So, you know, cord blood is... Uh, the umbilical cord blood that's left over mm. in the umbilical cord after the baby is born. So mm. uh, again, the you know the cord is clamped and then the the cord is cut and the baby's either handed off to mom or the baby goes with the nurse over to the warmer. And it's at that point that they basically collect what's left over right. in the umbilical cord that was otherwise would just like I said be discarded as medical waste or um, is so put into which of, I knew a lot of people put them in scrapbooks. Um, my mother was not one of them. Well, but I knew a lot of that. The actual cord itself, you know, well, so here, well, I won't go into that, but so that's the actual cord itself. So the cord blood process, you're basically just, you know, draining out the blood that was remainder in the cord. Right. So you have that piece of it and the umbilical cord blood can then be processed and frozen for long-term wow. storage. And then the actual physical umbilical cord, right? right. Um, you know, there's a little tiny bit of it that's left on the baby. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you will see this when you when you, they come home. And then home. it falls but off. But the majority yeah. of it, yeah. the majority of it just is still hanging out there. Wow. And that cord tissue itself it has other cells of interest in it that you can also process and store. So that's why there's the two different things, both wow. of which, you know, otherwise would not, you know, would be discarded as medical waste. And so. with the cord tissue, what is the difference? But like, why would one bank, you know, the cord blood opposed to the yeah. cord tissue or vice versa? Sure. Like, what are the sure. benefits between the two of them? Because I think that that's where I'm really confused about where I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to do it all because if it's there, you should do it. But I have to be honest, I have no idea why I would do both. Right. <laughs> so cord blood um, and the use of cord blood in medicine has been around for over 30 years. Mm. All right. So the, the blood um, being collected and processed, the cells that are in the stem cells that live in um, cord blood or that are found in the cord blood um, can do the same things that bone marrow stem cells can do. So people oh, are more familiar with the term bone marrow transplant. Right. But th- what that really is is a stem cell transplant. Mm. Now you can get those stem cells from bone marrow and you can find stem cells that do the exact same thing in that cord blood. Wow. So those clinic, you know, um, bone marrow transplants been around for a very long time. About 34 years ago, they realized, Hey, wow, we can use umbilical cord blood stem cells to do, to do the same thing as a right. bone marrow transplant. Right. Um, so that's, you know, kind of the gold standard. That's mm. the, you know, the, the medical history of why this makes sense and why, um, you know, there is, you know, uh, you know, tens and thousands of people, um, you know, who have transplants using cord blood, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty 
I'll say it's common, but it's you know over 30 years it's been around. Core tissue is kind of what I joke is the new kid on the block, right? Mm, so you know, I think what happened is that you know when you realize there's value in one aspect, it's intuitive to say, well, what else? You know, yeah, what else we got right. here? <laughs> you know? right. um, and there started to be more and more research into cells that are called mesenchymal stromal cells. Okay. Um, and these cells are abundant in the actual umbilical cord tissue. Mm. Um, and they can be, you know, processed and stored. And the original thought was that maybe, hey, we can use these in transplant too. Maybe if we use the cord blood with the cord tissue, right. you know, that could be something. And, and that was explored and some, some angles are still looking at it. But in the meantime, there's... Um, lots of other research and clinical trials that are taking the mesenchymal stromal cells mm -hmm. from umbilical cord tissue and applying them to a, a really wide array of medical conditions because the key characteristic they have is that they have an immune modulatory effect. Mm, okay. All right. So it sounds fancy, but really it is just yeah. what it says. Your immune system modulates, means it can, you know, ramp it up or calm it down. Right. And they can... and Everything that kind of goes on in your body, whether it's an illness or uh, injury or whatever, it all involves your immune system. Wow. So any cell that you think can play into that aspect, you know, there's a lot of room to apply it. But it's definitely a new kid on the block. You know, there's clinical trials going on with it, but it's not something that um, it's not like plug and play. It's not like, oh, I've got my cells. Go ahead and just shoot those in. You know, it's right. more prospective than the cord blood, which I said has been used for 30 years. The cord tissue is still evolving mm -hmm. and they're figuring out what is the exact way that it can be applied. Um, you know, how, what do you need to do to the cells? How many? How do you give them? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, work um, being done that look at those questions. But I think that's kind of the a best way to compartmentalize those two different types of right, tissues. Right, to be able to understand the difference. So um, this is a kind of a, this is a personal question for me is, is about 40 some years ago, I guess maybe not even that long ago, but about around 40 years ago, um, uh, a dear family friend of ours, their daughter suffered with leukemia and they were trying to find a bone marrow transplant, um, a match. And Yes. Uh, surprisingly, her father was actually a match and it was like this mm. beautiful, wonderful thing. And, and, you know, she's here and incredible and, and living her, her, the best life ever. And it was wonderful. It's a great story. Is this something when you're talking about bone marrow transplants, is this something that could be used with such as like, let's say someone in the family had leukemia and it was a, a match right. with the stem cell. Could it be used with more than just siblings? Could it be used like as a mother-daughter situation, a father-daughter, father-son, you know? Sure. Is that sure. something that's been done so, research-wise? Yeah. Yeah, so you touched on an excellent point. So it all comes down for the using of cord blood stem cells in a transplant, matching is very important, mm. all right? Because the, what you're asking those stem cells to do is to go into somebody else and you're transplanting them, right? You're giving right. them to somebody else and they're going to rebuild that person's entire blood and immune system. Right, right. All right, and so when they're going to be playing the role of immune system, the key thing is they need to match and not recognize their new home as foreign. 
right? right. So that matching. Okay. People and people get confused sometimes because they think, oh, it's blood and we're matching. No. It's are you A positive? It's not. That's not A or B or O. That's red blood cells. It's something totally, totally different. Totally different. This is like tissue matching. Like if you were gonna give an organ, um, right. you know, it's it, it's called HLA typing. And it it's a puzzle is piece. It has complex. to fit. Yeah. It's more complex. Yeah. yeah. So you know, HLA typing travels in families, just like you know, your genes do. That's sure. how it works. So the most likely to match mathematically are going to be siblings. Mm. So we've released, you know, hundreds and hundreds of units that have been used for siblings because that's the greatest mathematical chance of someone being a match. Now, is it possible to be a parent? It's possible. It's rare. Right. Usually it's kids 50% mom, 50% dad, right? Right. So usually it pans out like that. But if you're from the same gene pool, there's possible that mom and dad might carry some same markers too. So Mm. you can, you can end up having that situation. Um, but you obviously want, you know, exact match is the best clinical scenario and a related match has a lot of power and you see great outcomes when you use an exact family match. Um, so I won't say it's impossible, but we largely see siblings, um, right. That's you know, in theory, what... you could go one step up or one step down, but it's usually second, first or second degree relatives. And the further genetically away you get from the child, the less likely it is to, to match. match. Right, right. So right. I won't say you won't. I'm going to say it depends on the matching scenario. Right. right. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. No, I'm so I'm so glad you're clarifying all of this because these were all questions that not only am I asking that and my husband has been asking and my you know mother-in-law has asked us and my my mom has asked us like, you you know, because it's all these different scenarios, right? And we always wonder, yeah. like, what if? And I actually was talking about it with one of my best friends. Um, you know, we were talking about cord blood banking in general, how in my family, and we were specifically talking about her, that she is adopted and how this yeah. was such an exciting thing for her learning about cord blood. And she was the one that, one, one of the first ones that really, not pushed me, but was like, I really think you should look into this. It's very interesting. It's very, you know, yeah. fascinating. She doesn't have the connection to her genetic family right. than knowing, you know, that, you know, when you, when you have extended family around you, you have a, a greater pool to choose yeah. from, God forbid, that emergency does happen. With the adoption scenario, we do see a lot of families, um, whether the parents are adopted or whether they are adopting a child. Some uh, often the family will choose to bank the cord blood for that adopted child because wow. they know they don't have the genes right. or the potential to match that child. They feel like it's a resource. I guess that's the best way to put a it. Resource. It's, it's a resource. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a, you know, it's a tool in your toolkit, right? Exactly. It's not, you know, that it's all uh, all powerful, but um, it it has, you know, potential to be helpful. And yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think you made a great point at the beginning too. And you said you were first um, thinking about it and all these questions and there's all this information. I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and you're right. Like I will... <laughs> hear conversations, um, people talking about certain things and I'll, they'll be saying things that are just not right or true or this or that. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, um, so I'm really glad, like one of the things that I hear all the time, so people bank for their, you know, you bank for your child, right? Sure. And so there are scenarios when the child can use their own cord blood. Oh, wow. And there's scenarios where the child cannot use their own cord blood, right? So if it's a, if it's a genetic condition, Right. Oh, so if the child's okay. born and they've got a genetic condition, then their cord blood's going to have that same genetic exactly. condition. Perfect match. Yeah. Right. So you're not going to be able to use it's a match, but it also may have a hemoglobin disorder. Right. So you're not going to take that and put it back into that child. Right. 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 So there's several situations where the sibling 
is the most important, you know, so you, you know, if you have a child that's got a condition, the sibling of the cord blood will be the one that would be used for that child. Oh, wow. Now there's other situations would like with um, certain clinical trials where to be in the clinical trial, you had to have your own cord blood. Because oh, wow. getting back your own cord blood is the safest thing, right? Right, right, you know, right. If you think about your the FDA and the regulators and you're doing something, you start with what you know is the safest. Right. And so for clinical trials or for novel applications, they often start with, okay, you know, can you use your own and then can you use a sibling? Yes. So I just want to be, kind of flesh that out a little bit because some no, people I think please. have misconceptions. You asked the question about can everybody in the family unit use it? And, you know, so I wanted to kind of, you know, dive a little deeper on that. Please so do, it depends yeah. on what you're using it for, right? right? So I don't want people to think that no matter what, it's going to be used for my, can be used for a child. It, it can, what depends on what you're using it for. What mm-hmm. are you using for? That will dictate, you know, whether it can be used for a sibling or just for that child themselves or, you know, anybody else in, around the family. What's the most common thing that people have been using cord blood banking and cord tissue banking for? For clinical use. So for transplant, um, way that, that it breaks out. Yep. It's kind of well, yeah. So transplant is the is the kind of the gold standard, right? So that's been used the longest. And the, the kind of three categories that we see are, you know, oncology, like mm-hmm. leukemia, like you talked about. That says about a third. Um, hemoglobin disorders, so that's like sickle cell or thalassemia, or when you when your red blood cells usually is something genetically wrong with them. Right. And then the other third is just kind of like. Uh, uh, miscellaneous. And there's lots of other types of conditions that fall under, you know, immune diseases, um, you know, bone marrow failure syndromes. They're more rare, but they kind of, uh, together, they make the other third. Mm -hmm. So that's one category. And then, and I separate it because now the other category is what I was saying before. So clinical trials. This is the newer, right? Um, And are the new, is figuring out not using them for transplant. Right. Um, but hey, what else can you do? Because right. to think that these cells are the only thing they can do is, I mean, they get, they built an entire human being, right? right. They built an entire, maybe every, <laughs> all the, all the systems, all the stuff. Yeah. And to think that all they can do is rebuild blood and immune. I'm not, I mean, that's a really good trick. Like that's yeah. a really good indication. I'm not, you know, right. I'm not putting it down. Right. I'm just saying there's probably other stuff they could do. You know, there's right. probably other avenues where we can use this. Um, and so there's been some really cool research going on looking at the use of cord blood stem cells um, for kids who have cerebral palsy, okay. um, for kids who have autis- autism. So neurologic indications, uh, brain, um, um, you know, uh, injuries and disorders. And so those clinical trials um, started with the children using their own because there's nothing genetically wrong, right? We no. know a child that has cerebral palsy, um, it's an oxygen deprivation right. occurrence, right? right? right. A poxic injury. And so um, this, the stem cells that collected from them are fine. You know, they are, they are normal. Um, and so there were clinical trials looking in a, a totally different category than transplant. And there's a lot of families, um, we've released a lot of units that have been used in those FDA-approved human clinical trials looking at those type of indications as well. And what, the, the autism thing is very important to me because I have um, yeah. uh, actually now three members of my family who um, live with autism. And so it's a very yeah. strong, strong um it's very strong in my life. I feel very strongly and passionate about it. And when I had read um, that Viacord had done all of this interesting research with autism, that for me was kind of the the 
to seal the deal, if you will. Um, it kind of was, it was, it was very important to me. Um, what, can you dive a little deeper into the, the clinical trials that they're doing with the children with autism? Kind of what are they sure. trying to figure out when, when the children use their own cord blood and, and all of that with this? What, what does it all mean? Sure. So first of all, I don't want to take credit. It's, um, you know, we were involved in the beginning um, in trying to get these trials going, but the trials are done at Duke University gotcha. and they are the ones getting the funding and they right. are the ones, we are the ones, I mean, we are um, engaged in that it's the families who have chosen to bank their sure. credit with us and we are working with them closely to release the units and sure. have them used. But the research is completely done, um, uh, you know, at Duke. Um, there's also an arm of it at MD Anderson down in Houston, Texas. Um, so as I mentioned, they started with cerebral palsy mm-hmm. and they started doing working with cerebral palsy and um, the families um, who have members with autism were quickly calling in and saying, what about us? Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, no, this trial is for cerebral palsy. And they're like, well, why can't we do the same thing? And mm-hmm. so there was a, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a process um, where they launched a, you know, a phase one, which is a safety study where they gave kids back their own cord blood at first, just to prove that it was safe in that population of people. And then moved on to um, do uh, siblings and mm-hmm. autologous mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so it was safe, which seems, again, seems pretty, it's not, it should never be taken for granted, yeah. but it seems pretty intuitive right. that giving back a child their own um, cord blood is safe. Um, and it, it, not just with that, it was a feasibility study as well, mm. because um, taking a child who has autism and bringing them to a medical center mm-hmm. uh, is not an insignificant thing. No, not Having at all. Having them meet, you know, strange people, have it's, an it's IV, you know, yep. all these things. It's, you know, just the feasibility of, will they tolerate it? And, you know, how does that process work and how could they make it best for these families? And a lot of these families were flying. Wow. You know, so this travel by itself can be a challenge. And um, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, autism is a spectrum disorder. Yes. It's and so there's such a wide, all. Yeah. not at all, not at all. And so it was, um, I feel like it was a very bold, um, you know, uh, um, endeavor to take to say, all right, we're going to give these kids back their own um, cord blood. They weren't certain how many cells were needed, like what dosing was needed. They didn't know if it would help kids who were younger or older, or maybe help kids who had these types of autistic symptoms, but not kids who have this. It's such a huge, you know, wide range that you're putting this in and saying, well, I hope it helps somebody. Mm right? So I often say you can do a clinical trial and I'm just using a hundred for easy numbers. Say you treated a hundred kids and it only helped two. Mm. Most people would say like, are you kidding me? Like what a failure. That's awful. And I would right. say you helped two kids. You helped two people. Like why did it help those two kids? Like, cause again, you're taking, if you don't, you're, it's very hard in the beginning when you don't, when you're don't know, you could say, wait a minute, we did see a little bit of impact on these two kids. Why, right. why those two kids, what happened, what changed? And can we now refine the study to say, all right, knowing the characteristics of maybe why we think it helped these kids, can we pick more people like that and see if we can help them? Right. So right. I don't think at all that it's going to be a panacea where, oh, you can shoot it into anybody who has autism and everything's going to be hunky-dory, not at all. It is, can you move the needle at all for um, a population of of families who um, are frustrated sometimes at the, you know, a a lot of um, 
the therapies and stuff they're using is um, symptom control and management. Yeah. And the idea of something that could actually maybe change core symptoms um, was incredible. very, you know, was novel. Yeah. Now I have to say they've done phase ones, phase twos, again, safe. Um, it, the results have been largely debated, but I think the way that I presented them is that it's not just two people, but there was a difference in a subsection of the people that they were treated right. and other people didn't see change at all. Mm. Um, and so they got to kind of follow on and say, well, why is that? And can we reapproach that demographic and maybe add on? In the meantime, um, Duke has also moved forward with, um, trials using MSCs, mesenchymal stromal cells from core tissue. Oh, wow. For kids with autism. Wow. Okay. So they have shifted because the thought is that perhaps it is a immune, there's an immune, autoimmune or an immune dysregulation sure. component um, that, and we know that those cells play in that arena, that perhaps that might be another um, direction to go. So I would you know, encourage anyone to kind of do their own, you know, their own research on what's, what's currently going on as far as available trials and stuff. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of uh, a shift that I've seen in my time working with cord blood and cord tissue is that we went from transplant to trying to think of some other ways that potentially they could be used. And um, as I mentioned, the cord tissue um, research landscape right now is varied and wide. Well, and I'll say it's, it's exciting, right? Like it's so, it's such an exciting time for science, I think, of us learning so much and, and being able to see, you know, okay, what are, what's outside of the box? What can we do that's different than just, you know, like you said, what it originally was, like just bone marrow transplant right. kind of thing. And so it's, yeah. it's, and it gives parents hope, you know, it gives hope yeah. for the future. And, and, and it gives me hope as someone who's not yet delivered, but, but to think of, oh, wow, you know, look at all these things that are happening just now. What could, can you imagine what's going to happen 10 years down the line? You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's very exciting. I now, so I have to say this, I am, I'm planning, I, I say this like this, I'm planning on having a hypnobirth. I don't know if you know what that is, but um, sure, I do. Sure, yeah. I, I, I figured since this is your world, um, <laughs> but we we shall see what happens. That's what I that's what I'm saying. I'm not, you know, I'm. That's the best plan. Yeah, have a plan in place and know that you're going to have to play it by ear once you get there. I, I I know there may be a moment where I'm going to have to have an emergency C-section or I'm going to have to have a vacuum and all of these scary things that I, you know, don't plan, but I know. I may have to pivot into. And so I've had to mm -hmm. learn to embrace that word. Um, but there's a, a, a the reason why I bring this up to you is there have been a lot of books that I've read, a lot of people that I've met. I don't have um, a doula, but I do know other doulas through, through other friends who have had it. And there's a whole thing where they say, you know, it's important for the cord blood to, to go into your baby before you clamp for an X amount of minutes because that's the when you're getting the nutrients and the important things. And if there's anything left, then you bank it, but most likely you won't have anything left. So this has been kind of a moment for me at the beginning, like probably when I first mm -hmm. found out I was pregnant and doing all this new research and all this baby stuff and pushing it away and being like, I'll get to it eventually. And then eventually it came right. and I was like, oh my God, I have to make a decision. Um, but it was kind of this thing of like, oh, do I make sure my baby has the nutrients? Do I bank? You know, what What did my mother do? Like you think about all these things. Sure. Now, is there any benefit to a certain amount of time 
where the before you start the clamping is this all you know it's a hot topic no I hear you I I hear you and so I know this there's is no a very, right or wrong. I just want, I'm just there really curious. Isn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I'm glad you brought it up because it is a hot topic. And um, so this is like um, an issue where I see very clearly from both sides. Right. So as a labor and delivery person yeah. and as a stem cell person, again, I think these stem cells are wonderful. And I think that there's value in what's in the cord blood. So the idea of like getting more of that into your child, like- Sure. Sure. Yeah. Like that makes sense to <laughs> yeah. me. At the same time, yeah. So it makes it makes sense. At the same time, um, I believe that having these cells for 30, 50 years down the road, you know, is might be an amazing advantage as right. well. Yeah. Right. So having them banked and having enough of them banked, I I absolutely see that side of the coin as well. So it's a very personal decision. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that um we, Viacord, has been in a very unique position to actually look at this kind of scientifically because we have the ability to, we ask a question on, um, the doctor fills out basically a little card Uh when they do the collection and we have a question on there that says, was delayed clamping performed? If so, how long? Uh Right? And so we under we we know that data coming in, and then we can look wow. at the cords. So we have data on thousands and thousands and thousands of cords, and we can correlate was delayed it was delayed or not, and if does does delaying impact the or how does right. it impact the cord blood collection? Right. So I think the simple answer is: Can you delay cord clamping and still bank? The simple answer is yes. The more complex answer is there is some impact. Like you said, if you wait over three minutes, five minutes, there's going to be very little left. You're right. 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 You know, it's, there's going to be something there. It's not like the cord usually goes super dry, but, um, you know, but can you, you know, the current ACOG, so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommendation is 30 to 60 seconds. Okay. So that's the current, you know, and I think my hospital is making you do one minute. I think that that's what they're, I believe that that's what they're in quote unquote rules and regulations. Right. 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 Like I said, I would never, we would never go against, um, you know, what what the doctors or the hospital is or what the parent wants It's more, how do we provide information and make sure we're clear about what's going on. So, you know, in that situation, is it possible to delay for one minute and still collect cord blood? Yes. Mm-hmm. Will it be slightly less than you may have gotten if you had started earlier? Right. Probably. Right. Um, and people will always say, I, I know, um, I've seen a lot of umbilical cords in my day. <laughs> and some umbilical cords are like tiny. They're like this and they're like yeah. really short. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. some umbilical cords are like giant and they're like yeah. this long, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, it, you know. If you wait a minute and your cord was a whopper, probably not a big deal, you know, because it didn't even put a dent in it. But if you, you know, if the cord was smaller to begin with, if you're having twins or something and they were, you know, a little early and their cords were little to begin with, like those babies, um, you know, they they say with premature infants, that's really where they um, encourage delayed clamping, you know. So, you know... It I just think, depends. like I said, there's a simple answer, which yes, you can do it. You can always try. Um, the way that we work at Viacord is we uh, we say always try. Yep. Get what you can, send it into us. Right. If the cord blood unit is teeny tiny, um, we'll notify you. Okay. We have kind of a I call it a line in the sand because there is no magic number for right. cord blood. You don't right. know how much cord blood you're going to need until you know what you're going to use it for. Right. And since 
basically no one knows what they're going to use it for when they bank it, you know, we basically have to just say, you know what, if it's under a certain amount, we will proactively reach out to the families and say, hey, you know what, this is really little and we're going to give you an option whether you want to bank it or not. Right. So if you don't do it, then you can't even make that decision. I always say, just try, you know, do no matter what, if you want to delay or whatever it is, just try, send it to us. And you know, that's, then you have options. But one minute isn't like a crazy amount of time to bank where, where I'm like, oh my God, my one minute's up. And and like, I'll be okay if it's like 30, 30 to a minute, 30 seconds to a minute. Yes. And you know, the other thing I would really encourage and I encourage everybody is that, you know, you need to be your own advocate in these situations and proactively discuss this with your OB before um, you deliver that you plan on doing a collection, like what your plan is as far as, you know, delay clamping, you know, how because strongly do you know. feel about it? Are you like, right. are you like, Hey, I understand there's value in it. I'm totally fine with the 30 to 60, but I do want to collect cord blood. So please don't do this long. Do you know what I mean? You right. can have that conversation with them. Um, and you know, there's a lot going on when you have a baby and in yes. the moment you might not be like watching your, your, you know, watch, you know, so, right. um, to have the conversation up front, make sure they understand what your priorities are, make them your partner in saying, you know, I want to do this. I would like to get the biggest collection possible. I want to make sure my collection is clean. You know, you've got to tell them that it's important to you and and they'll, they'll help you out. Oh my gosh. I know. I, 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 I totally believe that. And I think that that's what's so yeah. nerve wracking, right? Because there's so many things that are going on and I guess that's why you're supposed to go in with your, yeah. you know, labor plan and, and, you know, your delivery, your birth plan, you know, but I'm like, oh my God, like, what if I forget this? And what if I forget that? <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's, 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 it doesn't, this is the one thing that I actually, I have to be completely honest. I feel so relieved by because I'm showing up with a box and I'm handing them a box mm-hmm. and calling it a day. Please <laughs> do. You know? Please don't put it in the closet. Please nope. don't put it in the closet. I've definitely had deliveries bag. where like the baby's coming out and they're like, they know, put, they pull it out of the closet at the labor and delivery room. Like, like as a labor and delivery person, they don't tell us about it until the baby's coming out and they're like, oh yeah, buy this. So you walk in and hold that box in front of you. Yes. So as soon as you meet your um, L&D staff, your nurse, you can say, hi, we're doing cord blood collection. And then be, if that nurse knows ahead of time, that is a, you're, and so I'm, I was, I feel very strongly about having the conversation with the OB. It is very important. Yes. The other thing you have to ask your OB is you don't know if your OB is going to be, or maybe you do, but in a lot of situations, your OB who you've seen through your prenatal course may not be the OB doing your delivery. Right. Right. Depending on their call schedule or whatever. Right. So you want to make sure that there's something either on your chart or something so that if it's not your OB who you had this conversation with, it's their partner. When they walk in, they still are aware that you're doing, right. you know, a cord blood collection and yeah. you, they're aware ahead of time. And honestly, your your biggest partner and the person I think who can make or break your experience is going to be your labor and delivery nurse. I, I totally, <laughs> Talk I, to your that nurse. That is what everyone and says. People <laughs> are like, you have no yeah. idea how important the labor and delivery nurses well, in this journey. They can set, they set the doctor up to win. Yes. Right? They are, they set up them up so that they have everything and so that everything clicks along um, and they can have the best possible outcome. So as a, on a personal note, since them. you were a labor and delivery nurse, and this is true to your heart, what is something that you would recommend to moms who are about to give birth? Like what should they do to get on the good side of the labor and delivery nurse? You know, it's not even get on the good side. It's, it's, I love labor and delivery because 
um, it's just very real. Yeah. People are, you're just your realest self when you're going through something like this that's sure. so emotional and so amazing. And it's, I really like dealing with real people. Right. <laughs> and right. it's just a very honest experience. Um, and I think, you know, I, I thought this question was going to go a different direction. And I, <laughs> and I was going to go back to what you said before, which is I encourage everyone to be empowered and, and not, you know, understand what their options are going to yeah. be and have a plan and then realize trust your body. And yes. go with it. Go with it in the moment. Trust the I baby. Found that women, women who try too hard to wedge their delivery and down that birth plan road, no matter what. Yeah. That's you know, it's the first lesson when you um, become a mother. You realize a lot of things are not under your control anymore. No, nothing. <laughs> like, you say, like half your heart is out. It's out there. Labor and delivery is a microcosm of that. Is wow. that you can make the plans and you can try to control and do everything, but when it comes down to it, you've got to, you know, you've got to trust your body, trust the baby, and be able to, you know, listen to yourself and go with it. And as far as safety is concerned, how safe is this for, you know, my baby and for myself, like with cord blood yeah. banking? Is that is that something that's perfectly fine? Yeah, absolutely safe. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, the collection doesn't even happen until the baby is, you know, the, it's clamped there. and the cord is cut right. and either on the mom or, you know, with the nurses. So the baby's, you know, out of the situation. Um, the umbilical cord and tissue has no feeling or nerves or anything. There's no, there's no right. zero um, impact to the, to the mother whatsoever. Um, we always tell, and another good reason to have this conversation ahead of time with your OB, you know, the, the primary um, goal here is a positive outcome for mother and baby, Sure, right. you know, and then if you can collect some cord blood, that's great. Right. Yes, right. So yeah. for God's sake, something else is going on, say, you know, you know, mom's having some bleeding or the baby needs extra attention, like that comes, you know, that comes first. Um, and then, but the good thing is, is that the cord's still there. It's not going anyplace. <laughs> and then two, two questions that are kind of similar in the same sense. When you go in for a C-section, let's say you have an emergency C-section, it doesn't matter if it's C-section or vaginal birth. It's still it's still one and the Correct. same. You can still do the cord blood banking. It doesn't make a difference, you right? You can. The cord blood um, collection bag itself is sterile and can be opened onto the surgical field. If right. they're doing, um, you know, if you're having a operative or C-section birth, you can do it there as well, yes. And then what is, I get my final question, I guess, is, what is something that, you know, why it could not be collected? Is there any reason, like, for some reason, if something went wrong and they, they said, oh, we can't do this, like, you know, or yeah. is there any reasons why they can't? Yeah, like I said, it's only if there was some sort of medical complication. Their priority is take care of that baby, take care of that mom. Right. You know, if there's something that medically pressing that needs to be done there, they you do that first and mm -hmm. then, you know, but 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 I can't think of any, um, you know that wouldn't you wouldn't know that until the time of delivery right. usually right um, right so right. I, I yeah it's not even worth no, even talking about it yeah exactly well Kate you have been so wonderful I ask this question to every one of my guests and I want to know on a personal level what is your emotional support it's a great question so. Um, first first line would have to be my family oh. right. Um, that's definitely um, my emotional support. My dog. Oh, me too. <laughs> my too. You can see they're above so, my head. You know, there's, there's, well, there's some things that you need to reach out to other people and 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 talk about and talk out. And sometimes you just need your own internal time, and it's okay to, 
you know, be emotional, whether that's super happy or super sad, and it's just something you need to metabolize. And sometimes it's nice to have a dog companion to do that with. It's so true to get those unconditional kisses from them. It's just, there's nothing better in the entire world. Oh my God. The best. The best. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for being a part of this right now. Via court is so important to me. And I'm just, I hope everyone, you know, does gets as much information and like reassurance as I have just listening to this. And, you know, I think there's something so different about reading something and then actually hearing from a human who's so passionate about it and just believes so, so purely and is stating the facts. And it really, it's helped me so much. And I feel so confident going into this birth because of you. So I really, truly do thank you so much for this. It, it really is. I wish you the best of luck. Enjoy the ride. It's, it's going to be wonderful. It is a ride. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah.